lots of ground to cover in Leafsland this week. Uh, we're a few days removed from the kerfuffle in Winnipeg, and while I was watching the game against Columbus on Tuesday, I thought that maybe we'd be able to move on and start the episode off by talking about something fun and positive, like the fact that Austin Matthews is on a seven-game goal-scoring streak. Uh, but then the Jason Spezza ruling came down during the game, six games for kneeing. Nick, what was your reaction to the suspension? I was a little surprised at the the length of the suspension, uh, just kind of given Spezza's track record or or lack thereof. How long has this guy been in the league? And this is the first time that he's been in any kind of trouble with the Department of Player Safety. Uh, all that said, it was a really dangerous play. I don't think that his intent when he was going into the hit was to try and drive his knee through Neil Pionk's head by any means. Uh, but he, he was definitely out for some kind of retribution. We can kind of touch on that a little more later on, but uh, I was surprised at the length of the suspension. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if anything comes out of the appeal, but uh, I can kind of understand where the league is coming from in terms of it being like a, a premeditated, clear attempt at retribution on a player who you know, has uh, earned a bit of a reputation with the Leafs the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I, kind of the same boat. Like I, I think I don't think anybody, Leafs fan or not, would kind of you know think that he shouldn't have got suspended. I think everybody knew it was going to happen and, and was pretty much okay with it happening. I think looking at the two suspensions, I honestly thought like Pionk was only going to get a game and he got two, and then Sp- I thought Spezza was going to get probably three and ended up with six. So like everybody kind of got double what I thought they were going to get, which is so strange because you can't predict what, what department of player safety is going to do. Like, <laughs> no, I like it, they might've gotten it, this right. Oh, wait, I, I, I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there. You can predict one thing with the department of player safety. They're going to fuck it up. <laughs> when they do decide to throw the book at someone, it's going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Well, and, and also when that, that the very next suspension, you're not going to have any idea what that's good. Like it, it does. There's no, I guess that's the thing that kind of bugged me the most is like, they might've gotten these right. But what bugs me is that everything else has been so wrong. They get a lot it, of it just like, wrong. It's like, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't really get it. I think what's interesting too, and I know Kim, you want to talk about it, but the, the day after they suspend Spezza for six games, they basically feed him a case for why it should get shortened with a bullshit $5,000 fine for a knee that was arguably, well, I mean, in terms of kneeing, it was a lot, you know, because Spezza didn't even really, it wasn't like a typical knee. If you just read that, Jason Spezza kneed, um, you know, Pionk, no, he threw it, he took a run at him and he fell and that's the point of contact that was made. Yeah. And, you know, like you said about Ian Cole, like that was more comparable to the Pionk hit. And and ultimately it just it comes down to the consistency. Right. Because yeah. if you like if you show me the, the Spezza hit and you tell me six games for that, I would say, OK, this is a league that obviously takes player safety seriously. Exactly. What, did, what did the guy get for throwing the dangerous knee in the first place? Oh, he only got two games. And then a guy did the argue the same thing, arguably worse. Uh, two, three nights later, and he got a $5,000 fine. So, like, where the fuck is the consistency? We've shit on Paros before, and he deserves every bit of it. Like, this is... It's a joke. It's always been, like, completely inconsistent. Um, And and it leaves me wondering, like... 
why aren't we coming down harder on the kneeing part? And then we don't have to worry about uh, guys feeling like they have to take their, their, you know, this into their own hands because you reflect on the fact that this is the second time in less than a year that a knee has been thrown at a leaf. And the last time it happened, everyone was, oh, Alex Edler's such a good guy. He, he, you know, he doesn't have a history of this stuff, even though he had a clear history of this stuff. And then Spezza, who has no history of this whatsoever, gets the book thrown at him. It makes no sense. Yep. And I, I, I just, I like the thing that I keep going back to is that the like referees want to talk about game management, right? Like that's this, you know, it, that that's a a feather they put in their cap. How well they can manage a game. Well, if they'd have managed the game properly in this instance, then there wouldn't have been any. Like this wouldn't have never have happened. You throw Pionk out of the game, even give him a like a, a any penalty whatsoever. I, I mean, like there, there's less retribution. But the fact that he goes away like nothing unscathed from that is what drives them even more mad but honestly from a game management standpoint i throw pionk out of the game and none of that shit happens with with simmons and stanley and clifford like none of that stuff happens if, if he's thrown out of the game well keith basically straight up said as much in his post-game comments when asked about the the incident between dubois and matthews he didn't think that that should have been a coincidental call. I tend not. to agree. <laughs> I tend to agree with him. The Leafs should have been on a power play there. If you uh, need his, to give Matthews two minutes for that for partaking in it, then give Dubois two more. Go four and ex- two. Exactly. There's no way that anyone could objectively look at that play and think that they were equally at fault for what was going on there. It was a ridiculous call. So the Leafs are already upset because they're down two goals in the game and they feel that they should be on the power play, and it's a four on four. And moments later, their young up-and-coming star defenseman takes a knee in the high slot as the puck carrier, and no one sees it, and there's no call. And at that point, the, the Leafs feel like they should be on a five-on-three, you know, t- chasing a game that they're down by two goals in. That they, you know, they should have a chance to be pushing in this game as a result of the actions of the players on the Winnipeg Jets team. And I love that Keith all but said at that point they. They were done with the game. The, the, the two points yeah. didn't matter anymore. It, it was basically the same sentiment that we saw, you know, in real time on Twitter, following along in the game. Everyone said, "Okay, screw this game. Go get your blood." Yeah, and, and it's it, not. It's, and it's clearly not over when you got guys like Nylander teeing up the next game in the media. There, there'll be another yeah. response, <laughs> similar to how Edler had to fight Simmons. He's either Simmons or Clifford or like Pionk's gonna whether he wants to or not, going to have to go with one of them again, which is, you can say what you want to say about that, but, and I even don't even really necessarily know where I fall on that spectrum, but I also know that to the guys in the room, like that's, that it matters. So I guess who cares what I think? Yeah. And it, it kind of the overarching point that I think Cam hit on was like, this whole mess could have and should have been avoided with competent officiating. And that's really where the whole thing stems from. And that's why you have players injured and players suspended right now. It just never really should have gotten to that point. But when it did, I'm glad that the Leafs were able to hang in that kind of situation. Because in the last few years, when you've seen games kind of start going that way, that's not a game that the Leafs have been able to play. And I think that just having that kind of response and the team standing up for one another, I just, I don't think you can really quantify it, but that sort of shit really like 
forges bonds amongst teammates. It really is a team building kind of thing. You know, you know that the guy you're going into battle with has your back. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, even through a couple of losses, I think that there was some encouraging signs from the team over the weekend. And that was probably, the, you know, the prime among them. Yeah. And I can't imagine this helps kind of the um, uh, us against the world type of mentality. I mean, uh, if you're looking at it from the least perspective, maybe you say it does help because, you know, we want them to, to feel like a team and to, to right. build those yeah. bonds. But in terms of actually trusting player safety, yeah. um, you know, it, like we said, it's it's twofold, right? Like it's it's the refereeing in game, but then it's also the atmosphere that this Department of Player Safety has built over the last number of years that, you know, it's not going to be taken care of. So we've got to take care of it ourselves. And, and then you do and your guy gets slapped almost worse than anyone has in the last number of years like how often do we see a six game suspension for a guy with no history whatsoever it's so rare and I mean, this is it, it, unprecedented in a number of ways. And I, I mean, I was I was kind of in the same boat where I was expecting it was it was going to be, you know, three, maybe four games. And I guess that was maybe naive a little bit, because how often do we actually see the um, in-person hearing offered? And well, that's uh, when the first surprise came. Like, I, I was kind of taken back when it was announced that Spezza was going to be having the in-person hearing and. Pionk just had a regular one. Yeah, and we should have probably known right then and there it was going to be five games plus uh, because and and to the same end, I don't think this appeal is going anywhere because how often do we ever see those reduced unless the, the suspension <laughs> unless is like twenty huge, plus yeah. games? It's and, going to take them six games to get through the appeal process anyway. Exactly. The, it always does. They always make sure to drag it out until the, the games are served and then maybe they'll reduce it and you'll get some money back. But that's that's all you ever see. Happen. On the to- on, just on the topic of like, I guess, incompetent officiating, the, the other point that, that Keith made too about bringing up the fact that Matthews hasn't drawn a 5 on 5 uh, penalty all year and just how, you know, kind of he kind of did like that, which I find odd kind of thing, right? And and I, I was talking to uh, to a friend of the show Leo about this about but but we were talking about the McDavid thing where you know there was the plea of you know not enough penalties getting called on McDavid and he Leo takes the stance of, and I I agree with it which is like the game shouldn't be called different for certain guys for certain certain superstars like they shouldn't get the benefit of the doubt penalties just because he's Connor McDavid or just because he's Austin Matthews call the game the same for all players I get that but that's not the point the point is that these guys have the puck all the time and are making plays and putting defenders on their heels in situations where penalties usually happen so it's just disproportionate it's not that we're saying Austin Matthews deserves because he's Austin Matthews to have more penalties called against him. No, it's just that the things that he does typically result in more penalties. So why are these guys that always have the pocket are always making plays getting, you know, basically almost like it's reversing. It's, it's the, it's swinging too far because it's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I can't, we don't want to give these guys more power plays because they're so good, which is, which is biased in itself in, in the opposite way. It's game management of the worst kind. Like, just call the yeah. rule book. Mike Johnson was on Overdrive, I think, on uh, Tuesday talking about this. And, like, it's, it's, you're exactly right. Like, it's swinging it the other way because, you know, these guys are, are have, have basically, there's a, a thumb on the scale with the officials not wanting to decide the game by calling it the way it's supposed to be called and allowing these really skilled players too much time on the power play. And they're, and they're dictating that, right? And that, yeah. that's been a, a constant problem. 
and it, it seems to only be getting worse in recent years as the game has gotten more and more skilled. These guys are doing a worse job of, of properly officiating it, and it, it, they're they're worried to lean things too far in the way of of skilled players, and we wonder why you know hockey has the popularity issues that it does. Like they're they're allowing their their stars to be smothered. Yeah. And with with Spezza out um, six games, uh, Marner is out three to four weeks here as well. So the Leafs are going to have to push through a little bit of uh, adversity uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully some reinforcements coming with, with Ilya Mikheyev um, set to return hopefully soon. Um, but, you know, Alex Steves got in the lineup. Travis Dermott's also dealing with an injury, and, and Christians Rubinch got in the lineup as well. Um, but what do we see happening here? Well, I should point out that it, it was really fortunate news to hear that Sandine is probably only going to be out for two to three weeks. I think that we we all Absolute thought that, yeah, that, that looked a, a hell of a lot worse in the immediate aftermath when they were uh, helping get off the ice, he wasn't able to put any weight on that leg. So that was perhaps the the best news to come out of all this. Uh, There was a lot of uh, bad news over the weekend with a couple of losses and the Spezza suspension, you know, losing Mariner to uh, an injury suffered in a practice collision of all things. And then to have Sandine and Dermot go out on the back end, a lot of bad news, but just to to know that Sandine didn't suffer any like real significant or structural damage to his knee, and it's not something that should really affect him long term. That that was that was definitely welcome news. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Leafs kind of shuffle things around over the next couple of weeks. Uh, there's going to be some salary cap implications. You mentioned Mikheyev is coming back. Um, it, it may end up with. Mariner and uh, having to go on long-term injured reserve just to free up that salary space for a little while. Um, I think Rubens has probably got the the hold on that next man up spot on the back end right now. I, perhaps we see a little more shuffling up front. I think maybe there's a couple more bodies that they can work in and out there, but I think Rubens is a guy that they've been excited about for a while and have been sort of looking to get him this opportunity, perhaps not the way they, they would have liked to see it happen. But uh, it, it's a good chance for a guy to, to get a look at, and a guy that they've been working on and developing for a number of years from the ground up, really. Former Newfoundland growler. Keith, what are your thoughts on um, just ha- how to swing the forward lines for the next few weeks with, with no Spezza, no Mariner, your guy bunting, looking like Mariner, looking real nice uh, on that top line. Hell of a setup. That was nice. That was that looked like Mitch something Mitch Mariner would do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I guess at the at the for the time being, you don't touch them um, as much as I love Wayne Simmons, and uh, you know, I I just there's 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 parts of points in the game where you're just like, oh, kind of wish that was like kasha playing with those two right now but i mean i understand that you don't want to take away from other lines that are doing well and i don't necessarily like like breaking up to Tava- like the the tavara's kerfoot and and Nylander line has been pretty good all were year were you surprised though that I, I, it, like with the news that mariner's not just going to be a couple of games that it's going to be a few weeks that keith has kind of already said it, it's going to be a lot of different guys getting a look with austin rather than we're going to slide. Yeah, up. I don't think I am. I don't think I am because I think I don't think Keith likes 
Matthews and, and Nylander together. So unless you were going to give him Kerfoot, maybe I, I like try Kerfoot and Bunting or something like that. That'd be the only. I don't. I don't see him breaking up Nylander and Tavares. They seem to work pretty well together, and I, I don't think he, he's on record a couple of times saying that 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 Matthews and, and uh, Willie didn't really work. But I, I I understand his hesitancy of breaking up Camp and Kasha, but I, I really want to see. Kasha play with with Bunting and Matthews for even for a couple of periods and just see what that looks like. I think Kasha's got a lot more to give offensively than I think he's doing a great job in the defensive role and still generating offense from that defensive role. But I'm curious to see what his like output would look like with playing with offensive players that have the puck all the time and not getting those assignments. Yeah, but, he, um, he did get a look I, on the power I don't know, play a little bit with yeah, yeah, which was nice. It was good to see. Yeah. Yeah, that, I like that. Um, although I still would like to see them throw Simmons in front of the net on some power plays every now and again. Like I think it's arguably one of the best things that he he could probably do on the ice is is that net front on a power play, and he doesn't seem to get it. So, um, but I don't know. It's gonna it's it's really gonna depend until like I think you don't touch anything. Maybe make some in game adjustments until Mikheyev gets back. But I don't think you can just throw Mikheyev on the top line when he gets back either. So. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. It's it's they got a lot of options though. Like they can they can they've got guys playing down low. That they've got guys playing in the bottom six that can play top six, and they've got guys playing in the top six that can play bottom six. So it's there's a lot of options that they can kind of run. And, with. and maybe you know you were saying they they might not be so comfortable splitting up Kasha and Camp with what they've provided in a defensive role. But perhaps once Mikheyev is back, if that's a spot that they were looking to slot him in anyway, maybe that frees them up to do a little bit more with Kasha in an offensive role, which might you know piss off Mikheyev given everything we know about his mood over the offseason and how he felt about his role on the mm-hmm. team. But I, I, I think that they might want to give him a look in a more offensive role, but the, with the way Kasha has played... I think it's plain to see that, as you said, there's more for him to give there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how long they stick with Simmons as the the primary guy on that top line. I think there's going to be some in-game shuffling and different guys getting looks with Matthews. Yeah. And really, an underrated story in all of this is just how well Matthews is continuing to play without his main running mate right? yeah. like cam talked about it off the top of the show he, he's got goals in seven straight and mariner wasn't with him for those last three games so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's able to kind of elevate that top line as more of a, a, a solo driver without mariner there I, I, bunting's been playing fantastic but he he isn't mitch mariner and he he yeah. isn't driving a line so it, something that you know that a lot of people talk about with the best players in the game is how can they elevate those around them? And I think that's something we're going to have to see from Matthews over the next few weeks while Mariner is out and while Spets is suspended. Well, that makes it so much easier to just throw Simmons up there, right? Like right now, basically you're going into every game and thinking, all right, Willie's going to open the scoring and Matthew's going to chip one in at some point. Um, and mm-hmm. it would be tempting to just kind of leave things as is and slot anyone in there with Matthews. You know, you got two energy guys that can kind of keep up with them a little bit. I 
mean, Simmons will see. Do you think Simmer's taking like an ice bath, Patrick Marlowe style between every he period? He looks so much better than he did last year, though. Like, it, Absolutely. that story about the yeah. work he put in in the offseason, I, I think like it, it's been apparent. He's he's a lot quicker. His hands are better. He's like You joke about him not really making all the plays that you'd like to see out of a guy in that role, but... I think that far fewer plays have been dying on his stick this year. He's been kind of like sustaining possession a lot better in the offensive zone. Even in the neutral zone now and then, he's getting around a guy and, and making a play that way. His so I, his forecheck is great. His straight line yeah. skating is great. His Even his hands, like it doesn't always look as pretty as some of the guys, but he's effective like in tight spaces. It's just, it, for me, it's, it's just the, his transition game. Like, a turnover in the neutral zone that ends up on his stick might as well just be like back on. Like he could just like he can't. He doesn't have that quick kind of uh, start and stop. No, he doesn't have that first step. That's for sure. Yeah, and that's the yeah. only thing that's missing from him being like a regular top six guy. To be honest, like he he could very well with every other skill set that he has, and then add in his physicality to make up for some of the for those things. Maybe not being like plus plus you know skills, adding in the physicality and and just kind of the work ethic and all that stuff uh, he very well could be a second line left winger it's just there's some there's some agility issues i guess that for you know just those quick strikes in the in turnovers in the neutral zone that are noticeable but there's a lot more good than, than that he's doing than just that i've been impressed with some of the the passes that he's made in the offensive zone so far this year he had that one great assist earlier on in the season i forget was to engvall i believe just a, a week ago or so yeah and in the game against columbus he made another great feed uh, to matthews in front almost set up matthews for the hat trick i think it just kind of hopped over matthews stick but he had a gaping cage there it was another nice feed i think he's still got the brain and the the hands kind of look rejuvenated a bit it'll be interesting to see how long he has the the run in that spot it He's going to have to produce a little something here and there, but I mean, as long as Matthews keeps scoring and the team keeps winning, it's it's hard to justify really shaking much else up in the lineup. And, and you know, we mentioned Mikheyev. Hopefully, we'll get an update there sometime soon. Uh, Nick Robertson is a guy we haven't mentioned, but um, you know, boy, would it be uh, nice I, to have him right now? Yeah, I, I would suspect that we're not going to see him before um, you know Spezza and Mariner are back, right? Like, I wouldn't wouldn't think but um certainly that's a guy that you know we i need him to get those calder votes <laughs> mentioned in the i don't know bunting's gonna get them all man <laughs> yeah you're right uh he's the biggest threat right now um yeah obviously you'd like to have him healthy right now and, and you'd have to love to have a little bit more depth to call on with the marlies but um we'll see what they're made of and you know they've got some tough games and like i'm I'm very much like over the, you know, injury excuse at this point. Like this is, you've got what you've got. You should be able to make it work with three of your big four. Uh, go well, to just it. look at the next team on the schedule and, and who they're missing from their lineup. We got Tampa on Thursday night there without Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. You just, you have to play through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's slap them around, baby. Just like we slapped the abs around last week, <laughs> and, they, uh, and they had a whole they had a whole team. So yeah, shout out to JJ, a faithful listener who who mentioned that uh, since we called for uh, points night, I think two episodes ago, the Leafs had uh, fourth straight points night against the Avs. They they were 
uh, really rolling. Obviously, the weekend didn't go so hot with uh, losses in Minnesota and Winnipeg, which you know we've talked about the Winnipeg game extensively already. But, but but- we, we should talk about that for a second, though, because yeah, I, I think a lot of people kind of scoff at the idea of moral victories, but there were some encouraging signs in those games, you know, being down three, nothing against Minnesota on Saturday night and just kind of sticking with it, getting back into that game and earning a point. And then, you know, all the the physical response and stuff that we saw Sunday against the jets. I think it's a lot easier to be content with some moral victories like those when the team is coming off of 15 wins in 17 games, you know, and also coming off a West coast road trip and home for like a couple of days and then back out on the road again too. Like that's, that was a, a pretty shitty, kind of spot in the schedule and they're going right back out again too, out to Western Canada too. So it, like, I I thought you were going to say it's a lot easier to, you know, to talk about moral victories when you're getting a lot of actual victories too, which is also true. Well, like, yeah. like that's what I mean. Like when you, when you go on a crazy run, like they went on and then they go on a road trip and they come home and they, you know, you, you spank the, you know, pretty much consensus Stanley cup predicted, predicted team or whatever. And then, you know, you lose two in a row, but, it's 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 not excusable losing whatever losing sucks you don't want to lose but like there's times where you don't those two points don't hurt that much and i think you know and and getting a point in one of those games too like that's you can stomach that um you just don't want those things to pile up and then obviously they go right back out and kind of right the ship well i wanted to ask you about that because do you feel that way after that third period and you know uh, by yeah. all accounts almost blowing it against a team that is absolutely dog shit in the club but you look at that you look at the last goal and it was like a half second left so i mean uh, it was it perfect no like it was definitely sloppy but I think well, we might have to be worried because we've given you know Sheldon Keefe his props for seeing the team's problems early on last season as we were able to get a look at on the Amazon series, and then we've also mentioned his comments following the Carolina game earlier in the season, in which the the Leafs still lost, but he had said he was really happy with a lot of the things he saw from the team, and they proceeded to go on a, a, a huge winning run. And after that win against Columbus, Sheldon Keefe wasn't very happy with much of what he saw out of the team. He also wasn't so, super happy with the Colorado game. He was like, yeah, he's like, that wasn't like, he basically said the other goalie was ass, but he was just like, <laughs> yeah, he was just like, that didn't feel like that game didn't look like the score. Like it wasn't a blowout. I'm happy with how we played, but that wasn't an eight, three game or whatever he said. Right. So like, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he didn't, he wasn't. And, and like, I don't want to make it seem like last night was a perfect game. It clearly wasn't, but I also don't think it was a one-goal game either. No, and coming off of a couple of losses and missing some key pieces to the lineup, I think you're just happy to find a way in that on that occasion. So a good way to just kind of get things turned back around, hopefully start a new winning streak with some uh, tough opponents coming up. Yeah, it's uh, Tampa Bay Thursday night, Chicago on Saturday, and then you've got uh, at the Oilers, the Flames, the Canucks, the Kraken, um, I mean, particularly those first two, obviously. Um, Edmonton and Calgary, that's going to be a test. And, you know, I, I, I'll i admit, I thought Calgary like was done. I just figured that this was this was it. They're bringing back the corpse of Daryl Sutter to, to try to make this happen. This is when you officially know that this thing is done. And sure enough, the, the Sutter team prevails. You know, they they he's got some kind of formula there and I didn't think that this was going to be the roster to execute it, but they've looked good. And, uh, Andrew Manjipani becoming one of the best goal scorers in the league out of nowhere certainly helps. 
yeah, insane that there's Olympic talk around Manji. But it's warranted, they, they though, get, they the get, way he's played. It's also all the, the shutouts for Markstrom, too. Like, you're talking about a guy that's going on a, yeah. a colossal heater scoring goals and a goaltender with, like, six shutouts in the first 20 games or whatever the fuck it was. Doesn't that kind of feel like um, crashed back down to earth pretty soon? Yeah, it. it I, I At mean, least to a point, probably. Yeah. I still think they're a good team, but I don't think they're as good as they've been so far this year. I guess. No, it it definitely has more of a Brandon Peary, Cy Young yeah. season <laughs> feeling to it than than it does like this is the next great goal scorer or anything like that. And and I do not want to see Andrew Mangiapane on the Olympic team. I'd rather see Zach Hyman. Um, <laughs> I would rather see Zach Hyman. Not very by very much, but I would rather see Zach Hyman as well. Um, so that's coming up. And yeah, good tests for a team that you know is, is going to be struggling because obviously Spezza isn't a huge loss in terms of what he's giving you in terms of ice time. Um, and in terms of role, but specifically like the, the energy that he brings and the moments where he just kind of sparks the team. I, I think that by the end of the six game suspension, uh, they're going to be feeling it. I think that, you know, that the, the, he, he is going to have an element that will be missed, um, during the suspension, even if he is just, you know, technically a fourth liner, right? He is. But how many times have there been games where the Leafs have been struggling to get on the board in a big game or like just a big moment in the game and he's the guy that scores like he he somehow i mean he has that clutch gene in him at 11 10 9 minutes a night he still finds a way to contribute a lot like it happens a lot well even the the play that he's gotten suspended for that was him stepping up for his team in a moment yep. you know for better or worse it, that was him defending Rasmus Sandin, a player who, you know, it's been documented, Spezza and Sandin are pretty close. So I don't think it was entirely surprising to see Spezza that upset about it. I, I was a bit surprised to see him take that run at Pionk, but I have to admit that I loved it. Like, <laughs> obviously glad that, you know, we didn't see Pionk sprawled out unconscious on the ice. Nobody wants to see that. And I'm not talking about, I'm, I loved seeing his face with Spezza's knee being driven into it. What I loved was the fact that Spezza took it upon himself to step up for the team in that moment and do what he thought he had to do to make things right. Especially on a team that has on the ice Simmons and Clifford and Richie and even Muzzin to an extent, like guys who have done that throughout their career for a guy like he's, that's not Jason Spezza's game and never has been. He has altered his game, you know, since, since taking on this new kind of, era of his career in Toronto like he's he's fought a baby twice once for sure he's been involved in situations sticking up for guys so he's you know he's this has become a part of his game as the kind of grizzled veteran on the team but knowing that he didn't really probably have to do anything there because there would have been another guy that would have um with the way the team's constructed this year I guess like that's even kind of more what I'm sure guys in the locker room are talking about right like it would have been very easy to just let Clifford go do that or Simmons um, yeah, if you think there's a single person involved with the Toronto Maple Leafs who didn't absolutely love what Spezza did, you're only, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, I don't know how circ- I don't know how circumventy it is, but I would like it if there was a an envelope of cash on his front step to make up for the <laughs> lost salary. <laughs> don't worry, I, I think there's going to be a big salary waiting for him whenever he decides he, he's done playing. There, there, there's no cap on what they can pay him after. He's that. got front office written all over him. Yeah, can we also just talk about 
for a second just how badly Simmons snapped in that game. Like he was a <laughs> madman. He saw it, and he. He was 100% receiving special treatment from the officials. Like, they knew who they were dealing with, and they wanted him off the ice. Whatever they had to do, they, like, nobody wanted any part of Wayne Simmons. None of the Jets, none of the linesmen, nobody. And then Logan Stanley goes off the ice, like, pumping up the crowd the way he did. It was like, oh, my God. That was so funny to me. You add in the stuff from last year too, even the fucking, I know he's gone, but the Thornton and Ehlers stuff, clearly something happened there um, with yeah. the teams. And then the Pionk going after Marner on the empty net goal and Dubois, Mullen. Like there's there's animosity between those team, two teams. And I think at that point in a game, it's out of reach. I'm sure like he said it to the media. I'm sure he said it to the team, like green light, go do what you want kind of thing. So yeah, uh, he was getting it out of the system. It wasn't exactly hiding his plans when he had <laughs> Kyle Clifford taking a face off on, yeah. the, on the shift after Spezza went after Pionk. I'm surprised he didn't get fined. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I think he was choosing his words very carefully in the post game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I needless to say, do not feel one bit bad for, Onomatopoeia ass Neil Pionk. Uh, he, I mean, he, he's got a history with with this team. Uh, he's got a he's got a history with his team with the Mariner thing from last year. It was a nasty shot on Sandine. Obviously, like I don't condone what Spezza did, but that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. And I, you know, it's it, it again. It is like the, the fact that it was Jason Spezza that stepped up and did it. Um, yeah, and that that's the 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 thing is like. These things are still a part of hockey, no matter how much you love or hate it. So isn't it better for the team to be able to kind of like embrace those situations and handle them in that manner rather than ignoring them and hoping that stuff goes away like we've seen this team do in recent years? I I just I love that response. And like Keefe, at that point in the game, I didn't give a shit about the two points. It, it was it was about standing up for themselves and showing that they're not going to be pushed around or taken advantage of physically. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, off the top, like it's it's uh, the mark of like a broken league that like, you know, this is it's like, how dare you try to do our job and, and discipline? We give him two games, you get six. Yeah and never do that again that that's you know this guy who has no history and then a guy who like again has a history with trying to go after marner late with a what what could have been a dirty hit if if he weren't that was just a bush league play shit bag and completely missed it exactly and 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 then you do this and then spets the guy with no history is is the one who who gets the the because it's making them look bad because they're saying you know you, you you don't know how to how to officiate you don't know how to pass down justice in this league uh we're going to take care of that for you and and you know it's it, it is again like just a a situation created by the the incompetence of the officiating of the player safety department um it's gone backwards in my view in recent years oh i think it's and, the worst it's ever been since paros is in charge i don't think that's yeah. really up for debate no, and, and the vigilante stuff like that, that stuff is just going to naturally follow um, if that's the environment you're kind of allowing to flourish. So um, hard to hard to feel too bad for her, for anyone involved, really. Like, you know, Spets is going to going to serve his time. And, and, you know, he he earned that. But, He's, he certainly um, he got his money's worth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so it's it's going to be interesting to see how you know the team dynamic changes because of it and and how the you know more importantly how they respond on the ice and how the the lines hold up with uh suspensions and injuries and and, you know the kind of not at full power right now so some uh interesting games coming up here Uh, i I said it on twitter Um, kirill semyonov really should have stuck around for a minute hey yeah yeah that'd be nice um he went on unconditional waivers and what's the deal is he is he back in the khl now he's gone back to the khl uh i think the the story was on the way back from the california road trip when he kind of realized that uh he was going to be heading back to the marilies he he told the team that he he wasn't up for that and he wanted to terminate his contract i I don't fault him one bit for that he obviously took a huge financial hit coming from the khl to you know if he was playing in the nhl and receiving that salary it's certainly a lot more manageable but you're not making a lot of money in the American League on a two-way deal, and uh, I don't think that he he left uh, a nice cushy job at home to to come over here and make pennies compared to what he's used to playing in a in a, in a minor league. So don't really blame him for that, but it would it'd certainly be nice to have him right now. I I still believe that he was a capable NHL player, and with Spezza out, it would have been really great to have him uh, filling in a, in the four C role right now. I think he could have maybe shown that he was worthy of more opportunity if if he had stuck around for a bit longer but it is what it is uh next man up i guess yeah that's unfortunate um i I liked him i I wanted to see a little more from him and and, you know you go from losing brooks on waivers and then amadio and then semyonov walks away like that's a lot of depth that's it's uh, gone out the door over the last little while and now you're in the situation where you need depth so I mean I, I don't know what solutions there are I haven't done any kind of a deep dive on what the cap situation is going to be here how how you know if we if we could possibly see like Josh Hosang signed and brought up uh, obviously he'd have to go through waivers I believe right so I mean there's there's a lot of um, technicalities that are you know probably preventing the least between that and, and just the cap situation of trying to bring someone in in a depth role um probably just have to kind of go with what you got here for the next little bit or i would think just just trade for a double retained jt miller i think he'd come in at like 1.3 million we'll just make that happen yes please. don't get me excited this late at yes, night <laughs> and this early in the season <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, get, we yeah. can't we can't get into deadline talk already but it, no. speaking of what we've got and depth guys, how about Nick Ritchie? We haven't we've gotten like what forty minutes into this show, and we and we, <laughs> we haven't mentioned that Nick Ritchie finally scored his first goal as a Leaf. We were talking about this before we went on, and if you remove the first like eight to ten games of the season, which I get is a huge chunk, that's like <laughs> half of what they've played, but. You know, getting getting his feet under him or whatever. He hasn't looked bad. Like he really hasn't for whatever he makes, two point something, two and a half. So two and a half million for a guy that's bounced up and down the lineup, filled in where you needed him to, to play. He he really hasn't looked awful. There's been glimpses of of some some nice plays, good hands. You're not expecting him to play like a six million dollar player. And I I, I think that it like I think he had like forty some shots on goal before he scored. That that stuff doesn't last, and and it would be well even just looking at some of the chances he's had. Yeah, point blank chances too. Like yeah, he, I don't know. For my money, he's been good. I understand that the the pucks weren't going in, and you'd like him to have four or five goals right now, but especially for some of the chances, like the teams that he or the lines that he's played on, and the kind of opportunities he's had. But I, I don't know if he like he, he's playing well for what he's making. 
and again bring something to the team that that they've they've lacked in the past it's pretty easy guy to like too like he's just hilarious but i i don't know i i think that you might see a few start going in for him now maybe that he's not as fixated on making sure he gets the first goal and you know, which was hilarious in the Colorado game, how there was just an entire chunk of the game, which was just everybody on the ice trying to get Richie a goal. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it, but good for him, man. I honestly, I, I, I never have gotten the vitriol towards him. Like it's like people thought because he was playing in the top six that he was making top six money and needed to produce like that. Like he's making two and a half million dollars. If he scores 35 points this year, that's great. Yeah, and don't look now, but he's got six points in his last eight games, riding a four game exactly. point streak. Like he certainly hasn't wowed anybody, but I don't think that he's been nearly as bad as, you know, some of the uh, takes on Twitter would have you believe. Uh, And as you said, he has brought some physicality. There's been a, you know, he's thrown some of the bigger hits that we've seen out of any leaf in the last few years. So yeah, maybe you're hoping for a little bit more on the score sheet, but I don't think that he's been particularly bad at all, especially in the last couple of weeks. And shout out to our boy, Sam McKee, who deeply pondered his orb (laughs) and nailed that fucking prediction that Richie would score in that game. Uh, impressive stuff from Sammy. Yes, well done, Samuel. <laughs> How about that uh, fucking Zegris to Milano play Whew. on Tuesday night? Wow. That kid is filthy, man. Like, some of the yeah. stuff that he does, he's going to be on, like, the, the whatever highlight reel they run at the end of every season, like, top 10 plays or whatever. Like, he's going to be on that multiple times every season for a long time, I think. Yeah. Guys, uh, like it's one thing for these guys to 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 be able to execute these things, but to just come up with them too is 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 super impressive. Like, yeah, I, I you want more of that stuff in the game. That that's what that shit that shit grows the game more than yeah you know anything else really. Like that's what's going to make it onto Sports Center in the states and, and shit like that. So from a marketing standpoint for the game, that yeah. kind of stuff's awesome. And then just from being a fan, like it's fucking awesome to see that, that kind of skill on display every night. I like it. And also he's in a fantasy dynasty league that I have. So keep it going. Yeah. Well, I have him in the league that we're all in together. That we're all in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. How are you doing in that league, Nick? I'm not, I'm not doing so great. And I'm not, not really doing that great in the, the, the trade world either. I've been spitting out offers at everybody and not getting a bite here. Yeah, that, that's where the league's going, eh? Like, it's it's just the most crazy, high-skilled plays. It, it, I love it. I, I think it's a great thing. But I do wonder how many, like, you know, um, defensemen who are in their, like, say, mid-50s now, guys who we would have seen coming up, guys like... Um, you know, I I don't know Darian oh, Hatcher Darian, guys Darian like Hatcher's like how many of, pressure went through the fucking roof when he saw that? <laughs> how many of those guys went to bed last night and? instead of counting sheep, they dreamed about how many times they could cross-check Trevor Zegris in the mouth um, (laughs) after he tried to pull something like that. Like, I I can't imagine the disgust coming from that kind of segment of of, uh, past NHLers when they see that kind of play. Or alternately, like, holy fuck, I'm glad I'm retired. Yeah, went going. Yeah, there's probably some radio hit somewhere where an old defenseman went fucking. Who's the guy? The old Yankees guy that freaked out about these goose gossage, like that. I'm sure there was some of that happening around the around the league. You know, yeah. it's hard for these guys to even comprehend it because 
you know, it's only recently that you even see anyone capable of attempting this sort of stuff. So it's, it's, remarkable to see what some of these young players are able to do coming into the league and yeah it's a lot of fun to watch it was fun to watch the the super slow-mo clip was the first i saw of it and trying to figure out what was happening as it happened it's like oh he's gonna do the michigan oh he's gonna he's gonna throw it and bank it off the back of his head or off his shoulders and in the net oh 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 (laughs) fuck that's what he did yeah that was was the defenseman on the right side that was just like he had no idea where to go. At one point, he put his stick like towards the corner. Like I, I guess I don't know if he thought he was going to try to do the Michigan, but if he did, like you'd think he would lunge more towards the net. He like took away like the pass. I think it was Dolly. He had no idea what to do. Like it was hilarious. It was a Dolly. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was funny. It, like to break that down and just watch everybody uh, on the defensive side. Try to it's it's a great. Yeah, I'm glad I saw it in slow mo first. Nice play by Milano to be able to finish that too. To actually, bank it in, yeah. You know that that yeah. that highlight gets lost in the abyss if he doesn't bang that home. So, yeah, great play. Yeah, yeah. Milano's got some pretty crazy hands too. So, uh, kind of the two perfect guys to hook up on that one. Um, Nick uh, Rodion Amirov back in action now. We we you reported that he was back on the ice, but now he's he's uh, back to to gameplay, right? Yeah, a couple of quick prospect updates. Rodion Amirov's finally back in game action. He played, I, I think, three games with uh, uh, Ufa's VHL affiliate before. Yeah, it was sort of like a conditioning stint kind of thing, uh, and got into a, a game with them. Uh, earlier this week, picked up an assist in his first game back. That was nice to see. I, I think they gave him the day off. Uh, they had a back-to-back, so I don't think he played the second game there. They're kind of easing him back in. Just nice to see him back on the ice. A um, couple other uh, quick hits. Uh, Ryan Torberg uh, is a name that people might not be familiar with, but they should start becoming a little more familiar with it. Uh, he's a kid that the Leafs traded back into the seventh round for in the 2020 draft. And it was kind of it, it jumped out at the time because it's an unusual move for this Leafs regime. So it was clearly someone that they saw something in. And uh, for a seventh round pick, his his development since being drafted has been just spectacular. Really, um, he was committed to Harvard originally, and uh, when their winter sports got canceled because of the pandemic last year, he switched to UConn. He only joined them for the the second half uh, of the season. Put up seven points in his first 14 games of, of college hockey. And th- this year, he's just totally taken off uh, with the Huskies there. He's become arguably their best player. He's playing on their first line, uh, leading the team in scoring uh, both goals and points. Uh, High-energy player who, who will run guys over on the forecheck. And earned himself an invite to Team Canada's World Junior Camp. So, uh as impressive as Torberg has been when I've seen him this year, uh, I was really surprised to see him get that kind of recognition. I don't know if he's going to make the team, but just the fact that he was recognized and invited to the camp, I think says a lot about how well he's developed, especially for a, a seventh round pick in such a short time. Um, other than that, uh, Topi Nimala and Roni Hervinen were also named to uh, Finland's final roster for the World Juniors uh, earlier today. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday. Uh, so I don't think that was a surprise to anyone after they were prominent members of the team last year. So they're, they're going to be big pieces uh, again for the Finnish squad this year. And uh, Matthew Nye's wrapped up his uh, college hockey 
for the 2021 calendar year. Uh, Minnesota is done until after the new year. Uh, the next time we see Nyes will likely be at the World Juniors uh, where he's going to be uh, a key figure for the U.S. squad. I think he's going to have a massive tournament. And that is how you keep people coming back to your podcast right there. <laughs> Slide those nuggets <laughs> in at the end, baby. Um, yeah, I, I've been trying to watch some NCAA stuff because TSN, I have TSN Direct and they've been um, kind of showing that as like bonus streaming content. And I watched, uh, I've been watching a little bit of Nyes and man, he looks good. And I, I tried to watch uh, a little bit of Harvard and they were absolute dog shit the other night. But um, yeah, I want to get into some more of that stuff uh, in the next couple of weeks as we get closer to World Juniors. But um, let's let's end it there for now. Uh, thank you for listening to Lamenting the Leafs. You can follow us on Twitter at Lamenting Leafs and uh, each of the guys as well. You can find our uh, Twitter handles in the episode description. Uh, and please do follow us, uh, rate, review, all that stuff. We would so appreciate it if you would wherever you listen. Uh, more importantly, though, just tell someone that is a Leafs fan, hey, I like this podcast and I think you would too. That would mean more than anything. Truly. Truly. Thanks, fellas. Have a good one, boys. (laughs) 